uh, get started this lovely morning. So come on in. Uh, Romans chapter 6, if you will, this morning. We'll get started. Uh, we're, we're coming now down to kind of concluding the chapter. Hey, guys, let's go. Let's go. Romans 6. Yeah, well, you, you know, <laughs> we got to get going. So I know you are, and I'm glad you're excited. So, <clears throat> all right, Romans 6, verse number 12. That's where we're at, and we're going to get down to. And uh, we're going to kind of pick up here just uh, th- this chapter, Romans 6 here, uh, as we begin to talk about and discuss the uh, identification truths, is, a, is really a critical uh, chapter. It uh, is a chapter that helps us deal with the issue of sin and uh, begins to tell us how to deal with sin and how it is that we can deal with sin. And we've already been down through the first 11 chapters, which are 11 chapters, 11 verses, which tells us to remember that we deal with sin the same way that Christ dealt with sin. What did he do? He died unto it. He died to it. And uh, verse number 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. You see, he died unto sin one time. Uh, The key to understanding how to be liberated in real tangible terms, you know, you hear people pontificate about, oh, I don't sin and blah, 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 blah. And then yet you go talk to them or be around them for a little bit and guess what you learn? They're sinners. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and uh, there was a, there was a guy one time growing up and he said, oh, I never committed, I never sin. And my dad goes, yeah, let's talk to your wife. (laughs) And he's like, oh, no, 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 we won't do that. You know, and that's the case. So how to, uh, how to be liberated from sin and, and really how to be liberated in real tangible terms, in everyday life, how to have victory over sin. It has everything to do with what our Savior has already done for us. And uh, that's really the, the key in the first 11 verses here is that you see, You see, dealing with sin has nothing to do with our capacity to work it, to strive, to to deny it, to, to come over and do our best. You see, we can't do that. It it has everything to do with what the Lord already did for us. That's where the victory is at. And why this is critical to understand and to get is because of verse number 19. Look at 619. And this is when we get into the concluding thing here in the chapter, we'll see that third component of our outline, which is the application of it. What is this going to look like? Because in verse 19, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the what? The infirmity of the flesh. You see, we still have a natural tendency to gravitate back to the flesh. It's still there. See, when he saved you, again, he gave us a newness of life. He didn't rehab the old. He didn't do it. He, he He actually takes that old and crucifies it. 
kills it, destroys it. We looked at last time. Now in the newness, he says, now in new, i got to leave you in that body, that vehicle, the flesh here. We'll see, we're going to look here in a little bit down there about yielding your instruments. Verse 19, for as ye have yielded your members, members, this stuff, your physical body, servants to uncleanliness and, and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members as servants to righteousness unto holy. You know, yield your members right here, right now, this stuff. And we tend to, we have that natural tendency to slide back over into the old guy. But that also means that we have a natural tendency to gravitate back to that miscon, <laughs> that bad idea that we can do something that victory over sin is dependent upon self-effort, self-reliance, self, self in order to stop it. Because what did we learn back up there in verse 9? Here's the key. The key to this is in 9, 10, and 11 here. Verse 9, what happened here? Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, What? Dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Death, has, death had dominion over the Lord Jesus Christ. He was dead three days. But what happened? He raised. Death didn't hold him, but death had dominion over him. Had a control thing, had a, had a reign. But now, because he was raised, death hath what? No more dominion over him. You see, Jesus, it's over. <laughs> death, sin, the grave. We read that passage last time in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Oh, death, you know, all that. It's not there any longer. By the power of the resurrection, Jesus Christ stopped. The authority, the dominion, the rule, the reign of death and of sin. And we too then, again, coming that issue of what happened to Adam passed down to all of his descendants. Everything that the Lord gets get, is given to them that are in Christ. Okay? What do we get in Christ? Well, what it, we got that co-identification issue. When he died, he didn't die alone. We died with him. So that, verse 10, he liveth unto God. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. You see, Jesus Christ, you, know, you think, I don't know if you got kind of have to think about that. What is Jesus Christ doing right now? He's living unto God. That's what he's doing. He's participating and doing the plan of the Father for right now. Okay? He's he, uh, over there in Ephesians 2. Just hold on, flip over there. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, sorry, and verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all. So what is he doing right now? He's sitting at the right hand, but he's living, he's doing what the, what the God, the glory of God would have him do. That's what he's doing. Guess what? You and I are to be doing that right now as well. We will be doing it into the future, but we'll have some more to say about that here in just a little bit. But right now, what is he doing? Because what he's doing is what I'm to be doing. 
What is he doing? That's why verse 11, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves. You see how Christ is, verse 9 and 10? You're to come over here and to think about yourself the same way. The problem is, is we got this infirmity of the flesh and we don't always think that way. See? And what's going to happen here now down through here is we're going we're to see how you can move from having the old man have any discussion at the table to where it's all the newness and the new man is the one running the show. But verse 11, he, verse 10, Jesus Christ is living unto God to, to accomplish the glorious plan of the Father. And verse 11 is the key. Verse 11 is the, the hinge pen here. <laughs> It's what's, it, it's the, because he, he says, listen, likewise reckon ye, you tabulate, calculate all this truth, bring all of this truth into your reality. You make it yours. He did it. It was his, it's his reality. You were there with him because you trusted him. You're justified, chapters 1 to 5. Now he's given you this new identity, and you're to take that new identity and put it into the details of life. So if you do that, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. Notice, indeed. I love that, indeed. <laughs> not a, eh, maybe, maybe not. It's an indeed. It's a done deal unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the only way you can do this is to beware in Christ. And because you're in Christ, you are to reckon, just like Christ. You know, he's hanging there on Calvary's tree, and he's flipping down, and he's fulfilling Israel's prophetic program and everything. And then he comes up, and the Father says, okay, now we're going to do this over here. And he goes, okay, let's go do that. And he reveals some information to Paul about really what the cross meant and means and the details behind it for all of the nations, okay? Calvary's meaning in Israel's program only was meant for Israel. When Peter in Acts 2 gets up and talks about Calvary, it is not a good thing. He says, with wicked hands, you guys murdered him. Paul comes in and says, hey, because of Calvary, you were his enemy, now you're, his, you're, you're, you're in him. You've been reconciled. You were a sinner, you were ungodly, but now you are a child of God. You're the household, you're, you're here now. You were destined for here, now you're here. Boy, and Peter, he sits over there in Acts 2 and says, man, you guys killed him. You killed the Messiah. You're in trouble. That's why he ends down later on in chapter 2 of Acts and he says, get out of that untoward generation. Get out of that apostate nation over there. They're the ones that killed the Messiah. And he's going to come back. He's going to sit down until he makes his enemies his footstool. And then he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to come back as Lord and Christ, Judge and Savior, Christ, Messiah. He's going to come back and clean your clocks, which is exactly what Matthew 3, what John the Baptist was saying to that crowd, apostate Israel, O ye generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? See? Paul here, he says, look guys, you need to reckon, just like Christ, guess what? 
you're the same way. And what you have to do in verse 11 is you have to ask yourself, are you reckoning this identity into your life? Are you making it a reality in your thinking? See, because he says, this ought to be your thinking. This is how you ought to be thinking about this. So then and now in verse 12, so that's all review, <laughs> okay? In verse 12 now, down to the end of the section, he's going to say, here's what happens. When sin shows up, you got a choice in the matter. And here's how you're going to take verse 9, 10, and 11. Verse 9 and 10, here's what happened to Christ. Verse 11, because you're in Christ, you take that issue and you bring it into your life. And when you do it, guess what's going to happen? You'll have victory over sin. Now watch verse 12, 612. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Notice it doesn't say to stop sinning. It doesn't say stop sin. It says don't let sin, what? Reign. See, that's different. Again, the key to stopping sin is what? Letting it not rain. You dethrone the booger. <laughs> you kick that old guy out. Because what sin does is sin thinks he's in charge. He still thinks he's in control. He still thinks he's got the rights to reign and rule over you. I mean, if you think about this, don't let sin continue to exert or exercise or any influence or power over your life. You let it. You choose to let it. That's what we're going to learn here. You have a choice. Let not. Notice, let not sin, therefore, let not. That's different than thou shalt not. Isn't it? What does the law do? Performance-based system, doesn't it? Perform, perform. Grace doesn't say that. Grace says, I gave it to you. What, are, what is your condition? What is your identification? I am verse 9 and 10. As the Lord is, so am I. What did the Lord do? He died to sin, and he's lived, but he, he is resurrected. He's living to God. What do I have right now in time? Verse 4, I have the newness of life. I have it right now. I have his resurrected life. That's why in a minute he's going to talk about, down in the passage, about everlasting life and eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life, verse 23. And down, why? Because there's some life that he gives us now that we're going to live now that's going to go on out into eternity. And it's whose life? It's his life living out right now in my life. When he says, let not, God is uh, laying out a challenge here, if you will. But he's laying the challenge out on the basis of what the Savior has already accomplished for us. His challenge is, let not. That's what his challenge is. You can choose to do something. We have 
a say in on this issue. We do. God is a God of accountability, responsibility. Adam and Eve, you see it. Adam, where are you? What'd you do, Adam? Adam, what did you do? Well, the woman gave, no, Adam, what did you do? Well, the devil made me, no, what did you do? There's accountability. And to think that God is not a God of accountability is just not to think about who God really is. He's a God of order. He's a God of simplicity. He's a God, but he's a God of accountability, responsibility. That's why when you raise children, you learn real quickly, you know what they like? Discipline. You know why they enjoy discipline? Because they like order and structure. And actually, when, usually when I was driving the school bus and I'd catch kids that were misbehaving on the school bus, it's because at home, guess what they had? No, no structure, no order. So when they get on the bus, guess what they get? Structure and order. And you know what they would learn to do? A couple times, you got to, you know, slap their hands to get them in order. Not literally, but just figuratively. So don't call the, the DES on me, okay? Or whoever it is, child, whatever. Anyway, no, you, you get them in, you say, here's the rules. And you know what they begin to do? They begin to thrive in that environment. Why is that? It's, an, the, it's the nature of Adam. That's what Adam needed. When the Lord looked at Adam and said, Adam, don't you go eat over there? You know what Adam said? Good, I got, I got my boundaries. Problem is, is he didn't keep them, <laughs> okay? You see, the thing here, folks, is, is we have a say in it. We have a control over the voice that we're going to listen to. Let not. You have a choice in the matter. Let not. Think, think about that let, that, that issue of a choice. Come over to Philippians 2. I, I, I will get off, we will hopefully get through the whole chapter here this morning. I said that to the guys yesterday. I don't think I got off of page one of my notes. <laughs> but uh, we had a good time yesterday in the men's fellowship. Look at Philippians 2. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Notice that. See that? Let this, let. Choose to think the way Christ thinks. Philippians 2, 5. How does Christ think about you in Christ? As a sinner, you're a sinner. You're ungodly. You're, you're, you're dirty, rotten scoundrels. Okay? That was a good movie, by the way. Anyway. How does Christ think about you? Let's let that be the way we think about ourselves. How does he think about you? You're forgiven. You're accepted. You've been adopted. You've got a status. You've got identification truths. You've got all, that, all the spiritual blessings. You've got all of that. How does he think? When, when the God the Father looks down and sees you, you know, we, the song is he sees his son, True, but how does he see you? In Romans 8, we're going to see that we can cry, Abba, Father. Only the beloved can cry, Abba, Father. And there's only one that ever cried that. It's interesting, the little flock could never cry, Abba, Father. It wasn't theirs to cry yet. They can cry it in the millennial kingdom when it comes. But who cried it? Christ did. 
Why? Because he is what? The beloved. Guess what you and I are? The beloved. So what can we cry? Abba, Father. You see, when the Father looks down at you and I, yes, he's looking at his son, but he's looking at what he's given to us in his son. So let, not, let this mind choose to think the way Christ thinks about us, and let that thinking be what directs you. Come over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> you see, folks, when you get into 6, you, we're on high ground here, okay? Chapter 1 to 5, we come up out of the gutter, and we get up on the plateau, and we see Calvary in the, in the distance. We go to Calvary, we trust the Savior, we're justified, and he says, okay, come up here on the mountaintop. I want you to see what now is yours. So we're getting up. Ephesians 4, if you look at verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ, that stuff there and thinking like a Gentile thinks in verse 17, 18, and 19, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so that ye have heard him. How do we hear Christ? It's through the Apostle Paul. Okay. When the revelation given to the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle of the Gentile, to the Gentiles, our Apostle, now we hear Christ. And have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. How are we taught? Again, study Paul, Paul's epistles. That ye, what have we been taught? Verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Boy, there's that word lust again. That thing about lust, if we have time, we'll talk about it. But real quick, over back in the lust of the, in 612, the lust thereof, the, that, that built-in natural desire to just be a pig at the trough. Never satisfied. He says, man, don't give in to that. We'll talk a little more about that here in a minute. Verse 22, what are we to do? We're to put off concerning that, former, that old man. Romans 6, 6, what's happened with that old man? He's been crucified. What is he? He's dead. He's not in control. He's lost his power. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. So we got to put off and put on, don't we? We're going we're to not let this guy, the old man, have any say, and we're going to have the new man have all the say. And we're going to do it by renewing our mind. And again, What are we learning? Back, go back to Romans 6. What are we learning here? Verse 6, knowing that our old man is crucified with him. So we're going to put off the old man. And then in verse 11, what are we going to do? We're going to reckon it. We're going to put on the new man. We're going to put on this new identity. So then in verse 12, when he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body, we're no longer going to allow sin to be the master to be in charge. And if you think about that, by, by the way, he says, let not sin, verse 12, therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it. In the, there is righteous disobedience in verse 12. You are not to obey sin. 
Usually we're told, don't disobey. Here Paul says, disobey it. <laughs> don't listen to it. Verse 16, know ye not that to whom ye yield your servants, yourselves servants to, what? Obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You see, folks, you and I, we've been liberated from sin as the master in our, in our lives. Think about a slave. I, I, in the passage, the, the word is servant. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But think about a slave and a master. Okay? When the slave has been set free, I've been watching some stuff on the 1770s and all of the beginnings of our country and everything, and a couple of the scenes in the documentaries, they have a, slave, a, a, a black guy come in and they ask him, are you a free man? Okay? Well, in a time in our country, they, they were slaves or they were free, right? Unfortunately, in our history, it's what it was. But if you're a slave and then you've been set free, sometimes the slave still thinks he's a what? A slave. Because that's all he knows. He hasn't been programmed to be free. But what then does the master sometimes think too? He's still a slave. And I still control him. I still run some, sometimes that master still thinks he's in charge and says basically just because I set him free doesn't mean that he's really free or I'm okay with it with him being free. <laughs> okay. And by the way, there was a time in this country after the 1860s that the, the slave owners thought that of the slaves even though they had been declared to be free as a result of the war and congressional activity. What are those, Matt? They still said what? You think you're free, but you ain't free. That's what sin does to you. You see, sin claims you as its property. Sin says, I own you. In the lust of your flesh thereof, man, I am still there. And yet you and I are told to what? Don't let that reign. Don't, don't give up it to its desire to control you. God's looking at you and he says, listen, I, I, I redeemed you from the slave market of sin by the accomplishment of Calvary. And because of what I accomplished at Calvary, you're free now. You've been liberated to no longer be a slave to sin. You're not its property. Think, you know, you gotta, that's how you're to think about it. That's how you're to reckon it. To, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Again, think about... And again, the infirmity issue, verse 19. But what does, a what does a slave think about? How does a slave think about freedom? Think about a prisoner, you know, someone who's been in prison for 50, 60 years of their life. They go in, it's one environment, they come out in a completely different environment. How, do, what, how, does, that, how does that individual think? 
like a what? Like a prisoner. 60 years, that's what you know. I think it's, a, it's, it, it, it's the same way. And in Romans 6, what you're learning is I've been liberated. Can I still allow myself to think like the old man? Sure. But what's the result going to be? It's going to influence me. It's going to tell me what to do. It's going to come along and it's just going to be death. So 6.12, what does Paul say? Don't obey it. You know why? Because we have something better on board. We have something better to obey and to yield to. 6.16, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants, ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or to obedience unto what? Righteousness. Even when we are free, it still looks like you're still a slave. You're still stuck. Where you have been positionally set free. So you know what you can still do? Serve sin. You got a choice. Or, what can we do? We can disobey the mastery of sin and we can obey and have obedience unto righteousness. Verse 23, the wages of sin is what? Death. That, that, that issue about servant, the issue, it, it, it isn't slave. I know that some of the new Bibles move this to slave. And they throw a Greek issue up and blah, blah, blah. But the issue is servant. Because what does a servant usually get? A payment, a wage. What is the wage of sin? Well, if you, if you, we're going to learn in Romans 8. Now, we're talking about believers here. So we're not talking about spiritual death. We're talking about functional death. There's five deaths in the Bible. In functional death, you can then, you no longer are able to serve righteousness. If you're living in sin, over here doing what, the lust thereof, verse 12, if you're over here doing that, then you're not doing who you are in Christ. You've allowed the old man to control the situation. So you're going to get a wage of that. Chapter 8, there are the first four verses. We find out it's a condemnation. And what we find out about that from Galatians 6 is that you reap what you sow. And if you sow to the flesh, what are you going to reap? Corruption, death, agony, hurt, pain, functionally. You're not able to perform as who you are in Christ. You're not able to be that ambassador. But if you're over here and you're obeying under righteousness... What's that wage? What's that payment? 623. It's the gift of God unto what? Eternal life, everlasting life. Something that happens now. Now we're walking in the newness of life. Now we can enjoy that life that Christ would have for us to live right now in time, but it's going to work out for eternity. See? So don't get mixed up when you say slave. When I'm talking about slave, I'm trying to get you to think about a mastery situation. When the verse is, it's servant, because you're getting paid something here in a functional manner, in a spiritual manner, okay? <laughs> I was talking to one of my kids earlier, and 
and talking about their jobs and stuff. And she's like, well, I'm getting paid more to do less. I'm like, well, where, where do I sign up for that job? <laughs> you know, and so forth. But that's, what you're happen that's what's happening here. Don't obey it. Even when you're free, you can still have that guy come along and mess with you. Look at verse 19. But you have the ability to say, you know what? I have something that is far better that I should be listening to. And let's go listen. Let's go have that obedience unto righteousness. Verse 19. For I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your flesh. And that is the issue, folks. Okay, Rick, we got the identifications, man. But, man, when I get into the details of the doggity dog day life, how is this going to look? You're to reach over into those details of the identification truth and what? Let not sin reign, but let something else reign. Rule, dominion, power, authority. Verse 19, this is how you do it, by the way. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. You see the yield? By the way, again, it's not a thou shalt commandment. The gift of the grace of God does never works that way. It never demands you to perform. It says you need to rest on what has already been done for you. That gift. It doesn't say thou shalt. It doesn't say to give yourself permission. It says yield. That word yield is an interesting word. In the dictionary, one of the definitions of it is to give yourself to or be addicted to something or someone. You think about yield and the traffic, you, you, what do you do? You yield, you, you, rest, you, restrain, you slow down, you look for everything, and then you go. But here in the passage, what are you yielding yourself to? What are you doing here? You, you are giving yourself to, aren't you? Or be addicted to. Now think about verse 19. Here, as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and from iniquity, how were you? How were you when sin was in charge? Uncleanliness, iniquity unto iniquity. How were you? You were addicted to it. You had to have your fix all the time. See that? You you yielded. You you turned yourself over to the lust of the flesh. You said, I got to have this, whatever it is, okay? And you know what? I can't just have a little, you ever eat at Christmas, Thanksgiving, because by Christmas I was done, but at Thanksgiving, Linda made a pecan pie. I'm the only one that eats it. So you know what that means? That is my pie. And you know what I did? I cut those bad boys down into small slices so it would last a long time. Problem is, is I wasn't taking just one. I was taking two and three to make up the regular size. So at, thanks, at Christmas, I just cut it regular, but she, did, she made a different pie there. But that was my pie. And you know what happens? You know what happens. You have one, and you go, okay, good, and then you have another. And the next thing you know, in like a day and a half, the whole thing's gone. 
and your blood sugars are out the roof, right? Why? Because what happens? Your flesh says what? Feed me. That plant on the little shop of House of Horrors. Feed me. I need blood. Feed me. Feed me, right? I need meat. And you know what? You did. You yielded to that. You let that guy run your, run you, run you. You know what Paul says? He says, "For as you have yielded, even so now what? Yield your members." Paul says, "Just as you were addicted to uncleanliness and iniquity unto iniquity, just as you were caught in that kind of a desires." Do the same unto righteousness. We should have the same gusto, the same zeal unto that which is good, that which is righteous. Use his terms. You see, folks, we have a natural gravitation to the self. Self-love, self-will, self-effort, self-lust, self, all about me. You know what Paul says? I liberated you from that so that you can now have the same zeal to righteousness. What an opportunity to be addicted to doing what's right. You look around the world today, not too many people are honest with each other. You know what Paul says? Be honest with every man. With all men. Speak the truth to all. I, I think about that man, Romans 12, be honest. Don't lie, be honest. By the way, why do you lie? Because in the moment you're trying to get away from something. Get a, I said get away, not get something. You're trying to get around something, get away from it. Paul says don't do that. What an opportunity to be addicted to doing righteous. And what grace did was it says, I did something to you that you can't ever do on your own. You and I, the lust of our flesh, get the fix. Christ says, I fixed your fix. It's over here in me now. You see, folks, you and I, we, we can get excited about righteousness. Righteousness. I'll come back up to verse 12. Let's catch some of the rest of the verses here. Folks, God has given our lives some excitement. He's fixed you. I don't, I, you know, I, have you ever seen the guys who are thrill seekers? What guy in his right mind jumps off of a perfectly good cliff with some kind of squirrel-looking suit on? An idiot. I'm, I'm sorry, a, a, a thrill seeker, right? I, you see those cliff guys and they go and they got those suits and, you know, I, I love the ones where they got the GoPros on and they actually get to see. And I sit there and I go, my goodness, but what are they? They're thrill seekers. Boy, because they're looking for what? Adrenaline and excitement. You know that God says, I've given you all of that. Your excitement, your thrill seeking is in everything I've made you in my son. So you don't have to go out here looking for the next thing. I gave it to you right over here. Send James, in James 
sin, uh, defining sin goes down through sin, and he says, you know what it starts out? It starts out in your thinking. It's sensual. It's enticement. It's up here. The activity of sin is the activity of a long thought process to get there. Paul says, fix that thinking process. Who are you? Let not sin reign, therefore, in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it and the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and that your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Members, your body, that's what he's talking about, okay? But notice, watch the object lesson here. Notice he talks about an instrument. Instrument unto sin, instrument under righteousness. Verse 13. Now, think about an instrument. Think about a music instrument. We have the piano, okay? Think about that. You got your hymn book in front of you. If you pull out a hymn book, I don't have mine here. We'll just do one here real quick. Okay, hymn number one. My faith has found a resting place. Okay? No, that's not going to work. There it is. Uh, it's hymn number six. It's called Safely Through Another Week. At the bottom, John Newton was the composer. Okay? You know who John Newton is. If you don't, look him up. And then Lowell Mason wrote the sheet music. So in this hymn, you have a master composer. He wrote... He wrote the text. Then you have the sheet music that comes in. The, but what do you need for all of that to make any sense to anybody? Who do you need? A musician. Someone who can play the piano. Someone who can read the music and blow a trumpet. Someone who can then use the instrument to make years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not. For my Lord crucified. Okay? At the cross, at the cross. How do you make that then sing? How do you make it go? How do you begin to communicate? Well, you have to have a musician who's able to read the sheet music. By the way, master composer, sheet music. Musician, the Apostle Paul writing it out. The Holy Spirit working in you as you study it. The musician reads the sheet music and he plays a what? The instrument. The body. The tool of the trade that tells the story that the master composer, the master author is trying to convey. Do you follow that? Instruments. You think about doctors and lawyers or, or uh, painters. They have tools of the trade. If, I, if We had the building painted uh, last year, okay? The guys come out to do the painting. He had an instrument in his, the master composer. We wanted this color, <laughs> okay? He goes down to the paint shop, gets the color. Actually, we did. We get the color. There's the sheet music, if you will. The musician showed up put his wand in one end and his wand in the other, the hose in one end, and he did what? He then sprayed the building, his instrument, that wand, did what? It did, it made it look like the master authors wanted it to look. Okay, you with me? Got the idea? Now you have two composers, 
You've got one, the lie program, the satanic policy of evil. Who comes along? Ephesians 2 calls it the, the course of this world that we walked after, the children of disobedience. Romans 1, verse 25, they take the truth of God and they turned it into a lie, doing what? Worshiping the creature more than the creator. What does Satan do? He says, hey, you don't need that, you need this. Come and join my group and guess what I'll do? I'll reveal to you everything. I got my secret society going on over here. We'll let you know. You see? I'm going to work in that body. And we're going to create some things with that. And he lays in. And that body becomes a tool. Becomes an instrument of lust. Then you got the competing composer. The truth. God. He comes in. And what does he say? What does he say in here in Romans 6? Yeah, you were that. But now you're this. Yeah, you did walk that way. You were in that old man, but now I made something new in you. And the instrument here is going to be you. I set you free from sin and that lie program. He did something for it, to us and for us. I freed you, and I'm giving you something else. Have you, ever, have you ever heard Stairway to Heaven, the Led Zeppelin song? Come on, y'all, you righteous, holier than thou's in the room. Baloney. Okay, I know better. It's, on my playlist, it's like number eight. Come on now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But if you, if, you, if you don't read the words, but just listen to the music, it's a beautiful song. Well, well composed. Everybody in the room knew it. Right? Almost everybody. I'll, I'll say that for the internet, okay? But you go over then and you take the same musical composer, guys, and you know what they can do? They can write something completely different. And the guitar riff in Led Zeppelin's high, and the same guitar can then play Act the Cross. Same instrument playing what? Two different sheet musics. Same instrument you got two sheet musics to read from. Which one do you choose? Paul says, God said, choose righteousness. Your old flesh says, you don't need that. You're already righteous. You're already good to go. You follow what's happening here? I was going to have Andrea play some things this morning. There's a guy on the YouTube who does like the boogie-woogie music. It's actually very funny. He's over in London and stuff. And you know what? It's very interesting. He will sit down and play Mozart and Bach and, and all those guys. And then he'll turn around and play Boogie Woogie. Jazz. Boogie Woogie Jazz. Okay, you guys looking at me funny. Yeah. Okay. But guess what? The piano is the same. It's just played differently. And you know what Paul says? You were, well, verse 17. That's what he says. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. 
but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Ye were something, now you're something else. You choose which one you're going to do. But watch verse 17 very carefully. He says, you obeyed from the what? From the heart. Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he goes, so goes he, goeth he. Your heart. That's where your decision making is. It's one of the components of the thinking capacity of your inner man. The other one's the mind. The mind belongs in the spirit and the heart's part of the soul aspects. And you know what happens? How you think about this. Do you want to rock out the stairway to heaven or do you want to rock out to at the cross? You choose. You're in Christ. You're eternally secure. We understand that from chapter 5. But you choose who you're going to be what? Servants too. Who's going to be writing your paycheck? Which one is it? But watch in verse 17, he says, But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of what? Doctrine, which was delivered you. So the question then is, is what, what is the form of doctrine? See that? Because he just says this. What form of doctrine has been delivered to you? Well, verse 14, I'll help you. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Isn't that the whole goal? Even though we have the natural tendency to go back into sin, what's the goal? Sin doesn't have dominion over me. So I believed a form of doctrine. What did I believe? Verse 14. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What did I believe about this? What doctrine am I learning and growing here? The law or grace? What doctrine does Paul give you and I that enables us to be able to yield our instruments, our bodies, to righteousness? Law or grace? Only grace. Because Grace. You see, folks, there's now something better that can occupy our thinking with. The law. What does the law say? Do it or else. You see, you're not under that performance system of where you do to get to deal with sin. That's what the first 11 verses just told you. He's done it for you. As Christ has been, so now reckon ye yourselves to be. The law says, do it or else. What does grace say? I did something that the law could never do. I set you free. You're not under that program that requires a performance to deal with sin. If you are, then you're not free from sin. Because any self-effort on our part does not deal adequately with sin. What deals, who deals adequately with sin? Christ. And our identification in Him. Grace, grace, grace. Grace did something that the law could never do, and that grace sets us free. Grace changes the inside of you and I. Where does the law work? Inside or outside? Outside, exactly. 
So it never changes the inside guy. The Lord looks at those Pharisees and he says, you are white sepulchers full of dead man bones. You guys look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're just rotten. You have your father, the devil. Woo. Paul says, you believe the form of doctrine. You believe the grace, the stuff I gave you. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That is such a statement of fact. The rest of this chapter, honestly, is straightforward. But I speak after the manner of man, men because of the infirmity of, our of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants unto uncleanliness, unto iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to the righteousness, unto holiness. By the way, you want to see the lust of your flesh? Go read the list in Galatians 5. You want to see the lust of your flesh? Go read the stuff in Ephesians 4 there. You want to see the lust of your flesh? Go read the, 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 uh, the thing in Colossians there where he says, put off the old man and put on the new man. And he lists all of the attitude sins. See, I don't need to go over the lust of the flesh. Read Romans 1. You get that quickly. He says, you know, the, the vigor and the zeal and the addiction that you have for that flesh, you're to now have it for who you are in Christ. Verse 20, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Boy, isn't that the fact? You choose to serve sin. Guess what? You guys hear me say that grace sometimes just kind of, and the Holy Spirit just sits down and waits for you to get over your little fit? That's the verse I'm using in my thinking. Because when you're over here throwing your little hissy fit, your tantrum, wanting to do it your way and wanting it to all be about you, where, who are you serving? You're serving the lust of your flesh, the self-willed stuff. So what then is God's grace going to do? It doesn't leave. It just sits down. It says, I'll wait for you. And when you get done, then I'm, here I am. <laughs> and it wait, Okay, now that's just a figuratively way. Of, verse 21, here's the purpose. From 21 to 23 is the purpose of all this. For when ye were the servants of sins, ye were free from righteousness. Verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? You see how he introduces fruit, activity, work, doing, labor, movement. When you were the servant of sin over here, what kind of activity did you have? Well, he's going to tell you. For the end of those things is what? Death. By the way, look at verse 21. What fruit had ye there then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? When you did them, you weren't ashamed because you didn't know better. But now that you're justified in Christ, had identification truths taught to you, you look back over there. You know what usually we do? We brag about our past. He says, no, 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 no. You should be what? Ashamed. Because what happened back there? That's what hung our Savior on the cross. See? He says, you know what that's, you know what the result, you know what the fruit of that is? The end of those things is what? Death. Functional death. You can't function as who you are in Christ. 
functionally death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for you to be able to do something now in time that you could never do before, and that is have fruits of righteousness unto holiness. But also the goal in that is at the, and the end, what? Everlasting life. And then he says in 23, there's the issue of eternal life. And the purpose of freeing you from sin, giving you newness of life, is so that you are alive unto God. Produce that fruit unto holiness. And the ultimate purpose is for you as the instrument of righteousness. Producing fruit unto holiness. That's the purpose. And that's going to extend for how long? Forever. Everlasting Life, eternal life, we're going to be the living manifestation of the holy character of God forever. Boy, that's some much more doctrine right there. That's some higher ground. Folks, grace doesn't lead, doesn't lead us to continue in sin. It leads us to use our instruments, our bodies these things, to go play a different tune now called righteousness unto holiness. That's why you'll hear me say sometimes when you, when you got saved, your, your, the history of your life started the moment you got saved. The history prior to your life is of no consequence. Now it's consequence. Now in Romans 7, we've got to quit. We'll start Romans 7 next week. We begin to see that now Paul is going to give some illustrations of his experience in operating under the law and its absolute failure to stop sin, to stop anything, and that following that law, death is the result of it. And we'll get into Romans 7 next time. Just catch 6. Yeah, you're dead to sin, you're alive unto God. But you, got some, you have a choice in the matter. Who are you going to yield to? Who are you going to listen to? You know, the, the cartoon's got the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. You've seen those cartoons? Okay. That's not what's happening here, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of the idea. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to let that lust, that addiction win? Or are you going to turn around and take that addiction and say, you know what, I'm going to go be the ambassador? And I'm going to live this way because it's everlasting. It's eternal life. It's a life that's going to go on and on and on and on and on and on. Manifesting his grace, his glory, his, his character. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just say thank you for everything that you've accomplished for us on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.